Good morning, everybody. Just want to draw a picture or turn to a portion of Scripture that gives us a picture in Acts chapter 12, as I open for Brother Steve this morning. Hope all had a wonderful Thanksgiving this last week, and I couldn't help but think how nice it is to set aside a day and sacrifice ourselves in a special way by providing a meal for our friends or family. And it's just so reminiscent of each and every Sunday that we have as we give thanks to God. We've set our aside normal activities. We've sacrificed ourselves, some of us, our energy, time, and money for the sake and cause of Christ and His glory. You know, what a neat feeling it was to do that this last week, sharing with others um, what it means to be thankful. So every Sunday when we come together, it's really a day of thanksgiving. Well, I want to draw a picture for you as I open for Brother Bloyd this morning from Acts chapter 12 and verse 1. There it is right there in verse 6. But let me read the first five verses because it really dovetails or kind of like uh, piggybacks on some of the things that we mentioned several weeks ago regarding Peter. Remember Peter the Apostle, called of God as he was on the shores of Galilee, left his net and followed the Lord. You could see the effectual call there fervently as Peter drops everything he's known, his occupation, his, his relationships, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Much like you and I this morning, remembering our call when God first touched our hearts and we felt the power of the gospel in our hearts. In other words, we could appreciate the word in a powerful way, and it changed us. It changed us as we began a road of discipleship for Christ. Of course, the effectual call is the call of God by the Spirit, and He borns us again, and we are awakened out of our sleep by nature's darkness, and the Word of God becomes powerful to us. We receive it. We now have ears to hear. And so, Peter obviously called, and he takes up his cross to follow the Lord. But we noticed that Peter is very presumptuous, sometimes whimsical, sometimes eager, sometimes speaking before he thinks. He had the old foot-in-mouth disease, as some of us might refer to it. But nevertheless, a leader among his uh, the disciples of the Lord. Somebody who stood out willing to speak first, maybe sometimes a little off-key, not always theologically true, but yet somebody who was willing to take the banner and lift it high. Willingness. Remember that faith, one of the ingredients of faith, is commitment. So we can't question Peter's commitment. But then, of course, we learned rather quickly that Peter was also subject to great error, great uh, disobedience, great unbelief, which left him in a dire straits, especially as one chosen of God, not only as a disciple of Christ, but somebody who would lead the disciples themselves and be an instrument uh, for God in the church. God had some unfinished business for this young man by the name of Peter. He was distraught. He threw in the net. He threw in the towel, so to speak. He was finished. But yet, from the Lord's perspective, he wasn't. God had plans for him. Well, where we pick up in Acts chapter 12, and I noticed this, 
is sometime around nine or ten years after the experience that we remember the Apostle Peter being restored to service along the shore when the Lord came to him almost immediately. And you remember his wonderful words of comfort to a very despairing soul. Children, have ye any meat? Isn't that a beautiful thing? We see throughout the scriptures how that sometimes our physiological needs, excuse me, have a way of uh, uh, being predominant in our overwhelming sorrow, you know. What does God do? He takes Elijah, who's ran from Jezebel, into the woods, and he, he feeds him a good meal, and he causes him to sleep. Okay, sometimes our physiological needs are so important that God addresses them first. And isn't that a beautiful scene? Peter on the seashore, casting it aside, you know, in terms of his, you know, his desires to be a once leader of the Christian nation, if you will, and now downcast, giving it all up. And Jesus comes to him and says, come on, like come and dine. I've got a breakfast for you, prepared fish and bread over hot coals. What a beautiful picture. And of course, Peter is restored. And what a beautiful picture that is, as we saw it on the seashore. But here we have a scripture that places Peter several years beyond that. Where is Peter? How has that restoration played out in his life? And this is the scripture I want to show you in Acts 12 and verse 6. We won't get to the rest of it because I'm going to be too long at it. The scripture says, And when Herod would have brought him forth this same night, Peter was sleeping, notice this, between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So here's a picture. Now, Peter, at one time, we've referred to him as sleeping there in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that? When he was asked to watch and pray, what did he do? He fell asleep in the wee hours of the morning as the Lord was undergoing his passion, about ready to take upon himself the cross, bearing the wrath of Almighty God. Peter was fast asleep. So don't look or don't expect the arm of flesh to help God in his hour of need because there was none to help, absolutely none. Don't put... Your eternal hope and rest on some arm of flesh because that did not get you where you are today by the grace of God. Only by God's grace. But anyway, the picture is this. Peter is sleeping. And I think that this sleep is not a sleep of laziness. It's not a sleep of a fleshly, you know, tiresomeness. I think it's a sleep of rest in the sovereignty of God. Rest in the magnificent, everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. Don't you see that picture here? Peter is in the service of his king now. He's resting completely in the sovereignty of God. He's fast asleep, chained, and also between two armed guards keeping the door. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I pray that's your picture today as you go through this little ground of sin and sorrow with a lot of disappointments. Your life isn't really, I mean, all your expectations of what you think your life should be. There you are in chains, in bondage, but fast asleep because you're resting in the sovereignty of Christ. Listen, sometimes we have a way of taking the worldly 
cultural moods, bringing them into our lives, and we expect things that just aren't true. I mean, we're watching one of the greatest liars in the history of mankind day in and day out, the TV screen, and expecting to see what we watch in our own lives. And it's so misleading. And so we fail. We're we're, we're in a turmoil. We're not happy. We're dissatisfied. We're discontent because we don't have the right uh, awareness, spiritual awareness. My point this morning is that Peter is spiritually aware, and as a result, he's fast asleep resting, even though he's in bondage. Now, the bondage of which we speak is a bondage that is really attributed to him by someone else, another power. But sometimes we have bondages that we bring on ourselves. In either case, here's what I want to share with you. What God cherishes is what Satan Hates. Always remember that. God cherishes your freedom from bondage. God cherishes your liberty in Christ. God does not like the bondage that you yourself are in, either by someone else unjustly. I mean, I would say that's unjust, wouldn't you? Herod had no particular interest in the preservation of Peter. He wanted to kill him. And there may be some times that you experience an unjust action in your own life, somebody else's fault, what you experience, this isn't right, and yet you have to suffer for the glory of Christ. Or it could be a self-imposed bondage through some sort of addiction that you have because you just love that addiction. It suits your nature very well. That's a bondage that you're in. Jesus himself said, Whosoever is a servant of uh, commits sin is a servant of sin. In other words, he's a slave of sin. That's bondage. Well, here's the point. What God cherishes is always something Satan hates. You know what happens to Peter? By a miraculous power and by the angel of the Lord, those chains are broke asunder and Peter is set free. Now, that was a physical freedom and, all, and ultimately he was delivered to the church. And you yourself are blessed to know the liberty that we have in Christ. He sets you free from your bondage of sin and Satan and the terrible view of hell that awaits uh, uh, the judgment of God. Listen, uh, what a picture it is. God loves for you to be set free. He loves for you. Satan desires that you would be bound up and in prison. May the Lord bless you this morning as we come before the Lord with thanksgivings. Certainly appreciate uh, what Elder Aquino has brought forth and desire and interest in your prayers the time that we stand before you. Uh, it's good to have Sister Perry here this morning. Um, I was able to spend a little bit of time with her, and every time I do, I learn a lesson. And one of the lessons that, uh, that I just learned uh, this time was that uh, she says it makes a difference how you look at things. She said it makes a difference how you look at things. She tries to look at things in the light of a thankful heart, in the light of if it's possibly uh, a positive side to look at it, that's what she tries to do. 
can't change sometimes the situation, but you can change how you look at them by the strength and grace of God. I'd say that somebody that's lived to be almost 102 years of age has pretty well had an opportunity to figure it out, how we ought to look at things. So every time you have an opportunity to visit with her, it's uh, special and a great blessing, and there's lessons to be learned. Psalm chapter 100. I thought of this chapter, and oftentimes do, when we, um, uh, when we, our hearts and our thoughts and our minds are directed toward Thanksgiving. I, I love the Thanksgiving time, as I mentioned to you. And there are so many verses in the scriptures that direct us toward having a thankful heart. If we don't have a thankful heart, we should pray that God bless us with a thankful heart. Because every single one of us have so much to be thankful for. Psalm 100. It's only five short verses. And then we'll look at a few examples in the New Testament and some in the Old about offering uh, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. I love the 30 minutes that we gather before the worship service to sing hymns. You know, as much as it, it helps our song service for everybody to join in and sing hymns of praise, the best reason for us to do it is right here. He says that when we come before the Lord, when we come before the Lord's house, that first of all, we should come before his house with gladness. You say, well, I'm not always glad about everything that's going on in my life or all the experiences that I have. Well, we all have challenges and difficulties and struggles along the way. But when we come to the Lord's house, we should put as much as we can our cares aside and come to worship the Lord. There's so many promises that are in God's word that if we think about God's word and his promises for each one of us, we can come before his presence with gladness, not glad in and of ourselves, but glad and happy and joyful in the Lord. He says, come before his presence with singing, Uh, serve the Lord with gladness. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. I like this next verse right here. It sums up in this third verse right here a whole lot of what we trust is precious truth and doctrine in the scriptures. He says, know ye that the Lord, he is God. He's sovereign over all. He has all power. He's the God of creation. He's the God of salvation. He is the ruler and reigner over all things. Know that he is God. He says, and that it is he that hath made us. He's basically reiterating uh, Romans chapter 9. That we are the clay and he is the potter. That he has made us. He says, know ye that the Lord, he is God. And that it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We understand that we're depraved sinners. We don't have the ability to uh, help ourselves, to improve ourselves other than uh, by God's grace. We certainly don't have the ability to save ourselves. He says, know that he hath made us and not we ourselves. And he says, and we are his people. I like that. He, he, he claims ownership of his people. He says, they're mine. I know them. I know where they are. I know who they are. In fact, I've known them because they're my people from before the foundation of the world. He says, we're his people. He says, and we are the sheep of his pasture. And I'm so thankful that... Uh, He blesses us with green pastures to graze in, with still waters to feast upon. I 
I was thankful to be able to be with my father in Phoenix, Arizona. But I tell you what, I miss the, I miss the, the green grass and the hills and the trees and things like that. And you might find a cactus here and there, but there's not any trees. Uh, uh, there's not many, many trees around there. And, and there's a beauty to that. And, and, and folks recognize that. And I'm thankful for that. But, but, but I, I, I like a little bit more of a, of a fertile ground uh, around. It says we're the sheep of his pasture. And then he says something, enter into his gates. And Brother Steve mentioned that we do this every time we worship the Lord. I believe he's talking about when we come together to worship the Lord. It can be uh, throughout other seasons in our life. It can be when the Lord delivers us, when he intervenes in our life. But he says, enter into his gates. Every one of us here have something to be thankful for. We shouldn't just do it. Exercise thanksgiving once a year, but we ought to exercise a thankful heart all throughout the year. Did you know that if we are exercising a thankful heart, it takes, it takes care of a whole lot of other things in our life that we don't need. If we're thankful, we realize we've already been blessed with far more blessings than what we deserve. We realize that we don't deserve what God's already done for us, but we have a heart of thanksgiving. We're not always saying, well, I, I think that uh, I think uh, bad things just always happen to me. We're looking at what good things that God blesses us with by his grace and by his mercy. He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That basically means, I believe, that before we came to the house of the Lord this morning, that before we came in, that we prayed or we asked God to bless us with a heart of thanksgiving. Lord, let me come to your house and let me be thankful. For Christ, for God, for salvation, for the many, many blessings that he's blessed and bestowed upon my life. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts, into his dwelling places with praise. He says, and be thankful unto him and to bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his, his truth endureth all generations. Verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Let's look at an example in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Here is Jesus Christ uh, entering into uh, deliverance of, of ten individuals in Luke chapter 17, if you care to turn there and read. Verse 11 says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that's talking about Christ, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Sort of looks like he went up through between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers. Which stood afar off. Now, folks that had leprosy, uh, they had to uh, refrain from being in the midst of a normal crowd or a normal group. And, and oftentimes they would have to declare and denounce that they were unclean, unclean. That there was a distance that was kept between them and normal folks. And so, if you had leprosy, it was a, it was a horrible condition that was sentenced upon you. And you weren't able to interact with other folks and... Uh, you, you saw your uncleanliness, you saw your, your condition, and it was ever before you. It was right before you. 
So these folks that had leprosy, it says they stood afar off. Maybe as Christ was coming, they heard about Christ. They heard that he had uh, delivered folks. They heard that he had uh, tremendous powers to help folks along the way. But yet they stood afar off. And as they lifted up their voices, they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. I think it's real good that uh, these folks, by their experience, they remind us. Now, this experience happened over 2,000 years ago, and yet the, uh, the, the, the miracle that was performed is there for us today. It helps us today, even though they experienced the blessing, they experienced the miracle uh, 2,000 years ago, yet you and I are blessed by what happened to them. And so here's what happens is they're... As Christ is passing by, afar off, they cry to Christ, to the master. And they said, Master, have mercy upon us. There's a lesson in that, that when we have a need, when we have a difficulty, when we have a struggle, the very best one to go to is the Lord. Now, the Lord can bless us with many other folks to help along the way. I was thankful that when my father was however many miles, 2,500 miles away from where I was, that I knew that I could pray for him right here. I could pray for him while I'm on the way. I could pray for him when I get there. And here, the men that have been stricken with leprosy, they say, Lord, we need help. Maybe we need help to be able to bear this condition that we have. Or, Lord, we know that you're the only person that can have mercy upon us. And if you have mercy, you could even make us better. You could make us well. You could make us whole. Lord, we need help. And they cried to the Lord and they said, Lord, would you have mercy upon us? And it says that when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priest. And it will. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. I think it's interesting to note right here that they were cleansed. Before they got to the priest. Uh, When they got to the priest. They were already cleansed. Now there's a lesson in that. In our sinful condition. The leprosy. Describes and. And alludes to our condition. In nature. In the flesh. That we're in in a bad way if you will. That we need help. And that the only one. That can truly help us is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can make us whole. He's the only one that can make us better. He's the only one that can deliver us. They were actually cleansed before they got to the priest. Wonder why that was. If the Lord Lord could have cleansed them at any point in time. But I expect if the Lord had cleansed them when they got to the priest... The priest would have gotten some of the credit for it. Wouldn't you think? I mean, wouldn't that be like a natural man to want to take some of the credit for the healing of these men that have been stricken with leprosy? But the Lord did it in such a way that everybody knew that the Lord got the glory for it. The Lord delivered that those men knew. Those men might have thought, well, the priest had something to do with it. All they did when they went to the priest was the priest was to announce them clean. The priest was uh, uh, to announce that they'd been healed uh, from the leprosy, but the priest did not have the ability to heal them. The Lord had the ability to heal them. 
And in our sinful condition, the preacher, the deacon, the mother, the father, the brother, the sister, they have no ability to make whole and to deliver from sin. No ability to make better. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. These men knew they needed some help. And they knew who to go to for the help. And then the Lord delivered them as they're on their way to the priest. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And on the way to the priest, it says that the Lord made them whole. That he delivered them from their leprosy. Now, it's interesting to note how many did he make whole? Anybody remember the number we started with? Ten. That's important to remember. He made whole ten. You know, there's no telling. Only the Lord knows how many he's made whole in Christ. It's a vast number. It's far larger than a few primitive Baptists scattered around. I believe it's far larger than folks that just carry the title of Christian. I believe it's a vast number of folks that are out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and people. I believe the Lord has a people. And I believe there's a vast number that he's made whole. But you know what? There was just a little group. Out of the ten, how many turned around to give thanks? One. That's right, Laura. I'm so glad she sits up here because I need her help. It helps so much in preaching. With cheerleaders like that, it, it's a great encouragement. It really is. I, I, I have to say, I missed everybody the last couple of weeks, but I especially missed the kids. I really did. The Jimmy Johns and Mathens and all the little... Little kids, I especially miss that. Now, why didn't 10 turn around and give thanks? All 10 of them were healed. Why didn't 10 turn around and offer thanksgiving? I mean, I wonder what was occupying them. They'd all been delivered. They had all experienced the same thing. But it says that there was one of them that when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and he glorified God. Did you know that when we have a thankful heart, when we thank the Lord for the blessings that he has bestowed upon us in our life, did you know that we're glorifying God? We are honoring God and glorifying God when we have a thankful heart and we thank Him for how good He's been to us, the many blessings that He's bestowed upon us. So many, many things. You know, I was thinking about it in, in, from my own perspective. And I thought, you know, probably not only it's 10%, one out of the 10 is 10%. I was thinking that, that probably... That's descriptive of, of my life that maybe I'm only thankful for 10% of the things that God does for me. And then I realize that, you know what, I'm probably not even thankful for 10%. I'm probably not. 
I take for granted so much. I take for granted so many blessings that probably if I was expressing thanksgiving to God each and every day, all day long, that probably wouldn't even cover 10% of the blessings that God bestows upon me. So probably that's liberal. That's liberal to think that 10% of the time people offer thanksgiving to God for what He's done for them. I think it's also probably liberal to think that that 10% of the people that God, even that God redeems, even that Christ died for, the sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary, end up really giving Him glory and praise for what He's done for them. There's at least 90% of the people, even that have been delivered and redeemed, that still feel like That in some fashion, either a small fashion or a large fashion, they've helped the Lord out. Do you know what? When you think that we have, that the Lord needs us to help him out, that's not glorifying to the Lord. If we feel like that we have some part in it and we have to help the Lord out, you know who gets the glory for that? We get the glory for it. God works things in such a way, especially our salvation, in such a way that he gets all the glory all the praise, we don't get any. Well, he said right here that one turned back and with that one, he offered thanksgiving. And it says that uh, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Basically, he was a sinner. This is symbolic of our sinful condition in man, in Adam, and yet he saw his need deliverance. He saw his need for a physician. He saw his need to be made whole. And when God delivered him and made him whole, he wanted to praise his name. He did. But God had made whole the other night. But they went about their way. Well, Christ said, he says, were not, were there not Ten that were cleansed. But where are the nine? Where's the other nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God. Save this stranger. Save this one. You can't go wrong. Praising God with a thankful heart. You should pray that God would bless you to have a heart of thanksgiving and thank the Lord. No matter what your situation or condition is, that you have a thankful heart. In Nehemiah, you can write these down and go read them if you want to. But in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 31, Nehemiah had uh, rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem and they were having a dedication service. And on the dedication service... Nehemiah appointed two groups of singers, two large companies or groups of singers to stand on uh, each side of of the gates. And these two groups, their, their sole purpose, their sole purpose was to sing and to offer thanksgiving to God. Do you know what? When we have challenges along the way, 
it just would do us a world of good if we just simply gathered together to offer thanksgiving to God. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I get so consumed with all of the requests or the needs or the things that I ask God for that I fail to go before him with a thankful heart. One time I, I, I wrote down, I remember this, I wrote down uh, in, in, a, in a ledger book about five big challenges that, that I was facing in my life that I absolutely could not see how that the Lord was going to deliver in these five areas. I could not see. Has anybody ever been there where you have a challenge in your life and, and you cannot see how you're going to get through it? I know a few of you have. You don't know how you're going to get through that. But yet you do know that God knows where you are and God knows your need. And you know that God's given you some promises to hold on to. And he's told you that he's not going to leave. He's not going to forsake you. And he's told you that you can do all things through Christ. But all of that, you still can't see how you're going to get past that closed door. Months later, I went back and I saw in the ledger those five things that I had listed. And I realized that God had delivered not from one of them, but from all five. And you know what? I was glad that I wrote it down for this reason. That it reminded me to be thankful. I want to tell you, maybe there's somebody here that's got one or three or five challenges. Write them down. Pray about them. Do all that you know that God gives you an opportunity to do. But you lean on the Lord. And then you go back in a couple of months. And as you check off those items. Remember to give the Lord the glory for it. I'm telling you it works. It does. Nehemiah appointed two groups. Group over here, group over here, and their whole purpose was to sing and honor and praise the Lord and give him thanks for the deliverance. Ephesians chapter 5. I, I want to touch on this, and, and, and maybe you have more insight on this, but uh, I want to tell you at least one way to look at this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. I love Ephesians. It's so, it's so rich. It's encouraging. Verse 19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart. There it is again about singing. We have the scriptural prescription for singing hymns to the Lord. He says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then this one sort of... This one sort of was uh, a little bit difficult for me. Giving thanks always for all things. Hmm. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. All of that's really, really good. I want to tell you one way that I believe that at least helps me in this verse right here. Giving thanks always for all things. I'm not thankful for my sinful condition. I'm not thankful for the choices that I make that do not honor the Lord. I'm not excited about affliction when it comes my way. I'm not excited about certain tribulation when it comes my way. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not signing up for it and saying, well, I need a little more adversity in my life. I'm not excited if I hear about brothers and sisters in Christ. That when, we, when we went to the funeral of, um, of uh, Davidson Desipati in uh, New York and heard about his experience and some of the persecution that he as a Christian had experienced early in his life. I'm not excited about that. But I believe that what we have a prescription for right here is this. That in the midst of affliction, in the midst of persecution, in the middle of tribulation, in the middle of losing a loved one, we have something that we can be thankful for even in the midst of those times, maybe not those very things themselves, but we can be thankful in Christ. We can actually step aside or outside the box, if you will, of the trial or the difficulty that we're experiencing, and we can rejoice not in in that particular trial, but in the middle of that trial, we can rejoice in Christ. We can rejoice in his promises. We can rejoice in his truths. We can rejoice that he's there for us, that he's with us right there in the very midst of it. And so in the middle of those challenges, and I think Paul describes it this way. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says that you sorrow not as others which have no hope. Sorrow is a real thing. He describes it there when we lose a loved one. He says you may experience sorrow. You're not excited about the sorrow. You're not necessarily thankful for the sorrow. But you're thankful for the blessing of Christ in the midst of that sorrow. You are. So it, step, it pulls us aside from the trial or the sinful attacks that Satan would launch upon us. I'm not thankful for Satan. I'm not, but I'm thankful that when he attacks me, that I have one that's greater than him. And so in the midst of those challenges, we can be thankful in all things. We can be thankful when we're experiencing prosperity, not in the prosperity itself, but in Christ. We can be thankful when we experience adversity. Not in the adversity itself, but in Christ, who is right there with us. We can be thankful in temptation, not in the temptation itself. That's a fiery dart from Satan that he's throwing our way. But that Christ has promised that he'll make a way of escape for us in the midst of that temptation. 
We've got a lot to be thankful for even in the midst of the attacks of Satan. I don't know if that helps you. It helped me and I hope it's a blessing to you as well. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This is so good. It points us again toward having a thankful heart. Colossians chapter 3. Let's read verse 14. And above all these things, put on charity. That means love. Love in action. Put on charity, which is the bond of perfect, perfectness. You know what? I, I'd, rather, I'd rather be around somebody that doesn't really have it all figured out, have it all together, that they exercise love and they exercise charity. That's a mark that they're one of the Lord's. They don't have to have, they don't have, to have memorized all 14 articles of faith. They don't have to understand every single point of doctrine. But they exercise love. And you know what? You can pick up on folks that exercise love. Look what he says right here. Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let me ask you, what is ruling in your heart right now? I mean, really, you don't have to answer it out loud. But is it the peace of God? If it's the peace of God that's ruling in your heart, did you know that that shows to other people? You don't have to tell them. You don't have to carry a sign around, a banner that says, well, the peace of God's ruling in my heart. If the peace of God is ruling in your heart, did you know what? It's written all over your face. It is. Amen. I could call some names of folks that I know that the peace of God is ruling in their heart and you'd identify with them. He says we should let the peace of God rule in our heart. Do you know what? Sometimes fear rules my heart. Anybody here ever experienced that? Sometimes anxiety rules my heart. Sometimes pride rules my heart. I'm sure I'm the only one that has those challenges. I'm so glad I'm with the people that the peace of God rules your hearts all the time. That's so encouraging. That's the type of people I need to be around. But that's not always my case. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which you're called. You're called to have the peace of God rule in your hearts. And he says, and by the way, here it is again. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you're called. And he says, and by the way, be thankful. So while the peace of God's ruling in your heart, you're going to be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. There it is again. We just stumble onto it about how important it is to worship God in praise with hymn singing, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and singing in your hearts to the Lord. Now, I have to confess, I love your beautiful voices. I'm telling you, it just encourages me. I love to hear them, whether they're on the CDs that Brother Tom recorded or whether it's in person. It's just such a blessing to me to hear the beautiful hymn singing. I love it better than any other I like bluegrass gospel, and I know there's a few other folks like Brother Tom and some others that have signed up to enjoy that as well. But I tell you what, it doesn't even come close to the beautiful hymn singing that we have right here in the congregation. I love to hear it. But did you know that when we're singing, as much as it's a blessing to the person next to you, and if you're a dad or a mom to your children, and, and these children, if it's if you're singing, it's a blessing to your mom and dad. Did you know that as much as it's a blessing to those that are around you, 
Do you know that when we're singing, you know who we ought to be singing to? He tells us right here. He says, when you're singing with grace in your hearts, you sing to the person around you? No, that's just a side blessing for us. You're singing. John, when you're singing up here, and when you're singing hymns, you're singing to the Lord. Your mom and brother Rob and others just have the blessing of being able to hear that. But you're offering the sacrifice of praise by your lips unto the Lord. On Wednesday nights, we gather downstairs and it is so neat to see the little kids. Ellen's little kids, Carla and Aces. When they first, Jimmy, John and Mathen, when they first start singing, they may not get every word. But you know it's coming from the heart. And they're singing to the Lord. And we're the beneficiaries of it. He says you sing unto the Lord. And then he says. Boy this one really gets me. And maybe there's others here that it will help. And whatsoever ye do. In word or deed. That means what we say. Or what we do. And whatsoever we do. In word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. He basically says that our whole life should be a life of offering the praise of thanksgiving. He said, so whatever we do in word, whatever we say, or indeed, whatever actions that we do, that we do it to the praise of God and we do it. With a thankful heart. We ought to be thankful. Not just in November. We ought to be thankful all the year long. We have so much to be thankful for. Just alone. If it was our salvation. We could sing the praises. As the songwriter says. When we've been there 10,000 years. To sing God's praise. We've only just begun. We've got so much to be thankful for. One way to offer Thanksgiving to God is when we assemble together and we sing praises together. Another way is when we go before the Lord in prayer and we thank God for the many blessings. Did you know if we were thanking God for the many, many blessings that he's bestowed upon us, it'd probably narrow the time down on the things that we're asking God for. If you don't have a thankful heart, if the peace of God's not ruling your heart, Brother Steve clearly laid out that what the Lord desires for us, Satan hates. If the peace of God's not real in our heart, we ought to pray that God would bless us with a thankful heart and pray that God would bless the peace of God to rule in our hearts. That's the best way that we can give God the glory for what he's done for us. He deserves all praise, all glory. Let's pray that we have a thankful heart. May God bless you.